Well, I'm excited to be going through the book of Acts together with you because I think it brings back into focus two really important things. What God has promised to do that only he can do. There's a lot of that in the book of Acts. But also what he's called us to do and equipped us to do by the power of his spirit living in us. And in a way, I think this book of Acts can really help us to get some traction on a fresh vision that we rolled out maybe three, four years ago where we said, we wanna be a generation of Christians who have the courage to stand. The confidence not to scream, but to speak up. And don't miss this, a heart that's willing to sacrifice to see more people come to Christ. I don't think there's any better place than the book of Acts to see all of that played out. We've already seen how the first sermon, the very first sermon that was preached, led to the salvation of 3,000 people in one day. Now today you're gonna see the first example of hostility and resistance to that same message of Jesus. In other words, some people are going to love it. Some people are going to hate it. Turn to Acts chapter 4, and you follow along as I read what I do believe. This and chapter 17 are my two favorite chapters in the book. So today is one of my favorite chapters in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 4. You follow along as I begin reading in verse 1. Now, as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word, say it, what'd they do? Believed. Believed. And the number of the men came to be about 5,000. And it came to pass on the next day that their rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as many as were the family of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked them, by what power or by what name have you done this? Now, help you out if you weren't here last week. This is what just happened in Acts chapter three. A man who had been born lame and had been that way for 40 years was healed. As Peter said, silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus, rise and walk. And he went into the temple leaping and to say that it caused a stir would be an understatement. This, by what power and what name have you done this? Verse eight, then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit said to them, rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he's been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead by him, this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which you rejected, which has become the, what kind of stone? Chief corner stone. Nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. 
Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go outside of the council, they conferred among themselves saying, what shall we do to these men? For indeed that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem and we cannot deny it. But so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them that from now on they speak to no man in this name. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God, you judge. One of my favorite verses in this chapter, verse 20, for we cannot but speak. We cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them because of the people. For the people all glorified God for what had been done. For the man was over 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed and being let go. They went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant, now they're gonna quote, they know their Bibles, they're gonna quote from Psalm 2. Who by the mouth of David, your servant, have said, why did the nations rage? And the people plot vain things. The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your Purpose determined when? Before to be done. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke the word of God with boldness. What can we learn from this chapter that could help us to navigate the choppy waters of our culture today? Well, here's the first thing I want you to see. Number one, this message of Jesus, folks, has always been radical and unsettling to our world. Listen to me, it's not a new thing. They didn't start off loving this message and now today they hate it. Oh, no, 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 no. You need to realize that Christianity was not born into a world that said, oh yes, we've been waiting for this. Yes, Jesus is the only way, yes. No. 
Christianity was born into a culture that was just as resistant as ours is today because it was just as pluralistic as ours is today. It was a world filled with religions and gods that even said, hey, it's okay for you even to have a favorite or personal God. You choose. Just don't dare say that your God is the only God or that your God is superior to any other God. Sound familiar? So what is it about this message of Jesus that gets everybody so riled up? And trust me, they were riled up because that word in verse two, that phrase greatly disturbed is actually a Greek word that means to be troubled, to be offended, to be angry and to be stirred up inside. They were riled up over this message. So what is it about the message of Jesus that gets people so stirred up? Well, here's what I wanna do. This is one of the things that I love about the Bible, folks. This is not some dusty book for your coffee table. This is a book to help you know how to live today. I wanna show you some of the reasons that this message of Jesus was so offensive to them in Acts chapter four because it's the same reasons that it's so offensive to people today. Here's the first, number one. The message of Jesus exposes. Look at me. People don't like to be exposed, folks. They like to hide and pretend and have a certain image. You expose them, it'll get ugly. This message of Jesus exposes the sinful prejudice of the human heart. Here's what I mean. People love to talk and blog and act like this message of Jesus, the gospel, is an intellectual problem for them because they are such a truth seeker. I wanna know the truth. And they don't have enough evidence that compels them to believe the claims of Christ. They're a truth seeker. They just don't see enough evidence. Folks, that is almost never what's really going on. That's almost never what's really going on. Which is, you say, how do you know that, Brad? Uh, verse 16 bumped up right against verse 17 in one of the most awkward, illogical, odd ways. We're gonna look at it again here in a minute. And when we do, I want you to note how illogical it looks and how it, expo- how it exposes the fact, folks, that what these people who are in leadership do next is not based on intellect. It's based on something much stronger that drives every one of us. You follow along as I read it again. Watch what happens. Verse 16, what shall we do to these men? For indeed that a notable miracle has been done through them. All right, look at me. We've got Christians running around left and right saying, well, the reason we don't have people coming to faith in Christ, not enough miracles. We gotta get the miracles going again. You need to be healing people in Jesus' name, blind eyes open, arms being grown back. We we gotta get that stuff going because that's when people are getting saved. Folks, not true. Read your Bible. When he raised Lazarus from the dead, they didn't just say, let's kill Jesus. They said, let's kill Lazarus too. That's the hardness of the human heart. Again, John 11, it says, when that happened, some believed and some went away and plotted how they might kill Jesus and Lazarus. 
Because we already know we don't want to believe and this is just going to hurt us. Kill them. It's not an intellectual problem. It's a heart problem. It's a heart problem. So listen, there's a notable miracle. Sometimes we think, oh, if there were more miracles. There was a notable miracle. But Brad, maybe it happened in a quiet little place and only 10 people saw it. Well, keep reading. It's been done through them and it is evident to how many? All who are in Jerusalem. Oh my goodness, we got a notable miracle. It's evident to all, but there's more. And we cannot deny it. You know, maybe there's still something about it that you can poke holes in it. Nope, nope, nope. Notable miracle, evident to all, we cannot deny it. So verse 17, you would think, would begin saying, Therefore, they laid aside their belief system and what they had held to for so long, recognizing this new evidence has changed my thinking, and I now change what I believe. Not. What's verse 17 begin with? Say louder. Louder. Our culture and the hardness of the human heart will continue to respond with one giant but. It has one T on it. But. Not this, but this. But sometimes they give us this too. Ah, uh, first service didn't even get that. It, you, you get it, all this stuff comes to my mind. And then third service, it just goes off the rails. But they'll continue to respond with a but. But why? Because I already know what I believe and want to be true. And I'm looking for things that just prove that and confirm that and allow me to keep thinking and believing and doing what I want to do. But, so there spreads no further. Here's what's going on for, verse 17 is describing people who are not interested in the truth, but who are more interested in protecting and preserving what they already believe. Because here's what you need to realize. Yes, truth is glorious. Yes, truth is wonderful. Guess what? Falsehoods also have some benefits that people do not want to lose. You say, what are you talking about, Brad? I'll give you one. I want to have sex with whoever I want to have sex with whenever I want, in whatever way I want, and the Bible's ethics don't allow me to do that, so I've got to say the Bible is not inspired, it's not God's word, it's not for today. Almost always you'll find there's something that I want to do that I can't freely do because of Christianity and Jesus and God's word. I want to be autonomous. I want to call the shots in my life. I want to be totally independent Therefore, I don't want there to be a God, a creator God who actually created me in his image and I relate to him and I'm accountable to him. I don't want to live in a world like that. Therefore, I say I'm an atheist or at least an agnostic. I need to say I don't believe in God, not because of lack of evidence, but because of what I already want to do. Folks, you're never talking to someone in a vacuum and you just need to convince them of the evidence. It's not a lack of evidence anything altogether. It's what they already are holding to that so often is in the way. Oh, listen to me, folks. People who are already clinging to a falsehood that has benefits that they want will turn a deaf ear and a blind eye to the truth, regardless of mounting evidence. 
Just one example, abortion. And again, I don't want to offend or hurt. In a room this size, there's probably a number of people who've experienced that. But listen, we're living in a very different day than 50 years ago with technology that just can show it's a human being. There's a heart, it's amazing. And yet, has it convinced everybody? Don't hear me saying there's not a place for ultrasounds. I know there've been young ladies whose hearts have been changed when they could see that baby. But our culture just continues to find new ways to talk about it. Last week I read how now they no longer on purpose wanna say it's not a beating heart, it's an embryonic pulse that one day will become a heartbeat when it's really a human being. See, they just find clever ways to talk about it differently, regardless of more evidence, more evidence, more evidence, more evidence. Folks, people already know what they want to do. Therefore, they will turn a deaf ear and a blind eye to the truth, despite evidence. Don't hear me saying there's not a place for apologetics. I'm grateful for ministries. But folks, the biggest problem people have is not where did Cain get his wife? And how did all those animals get on the ark? Very often that's a smoke screen. The biggest problem is how can I have sex with who I want to have sex with? And how can I live completely autonomous and do what I want? That's why someone will raise an objection and you'll offer an answer. Another one, an answer, another one, an answer. And sometimes I've had this happen. They'll literally say, whatever. Oh, that's where they go next. I can't think of another objection. You've had a pretty good answer for everyone. Now I've got to just go, whatever. What does that mean? I am not going to change my mind regardless of the answers that you have because I already know what I want to do. Now, please know I'm not talking about these people out there somewhere. We are all born with this heart. Here's what is right at the heart of our sin nature It's a desire for autonomy. And that desire for autonomy, stay with me, is what causes us, it causes our minds to perceive reality selectively. My desire for autonomy causes my mind to perceive reality selectively. I keep what fits what I want to do. I reject what doesn't fit. It's not mainly an intellectual problem. It's a heart problem long before it's an intellectual problem. That's why despite mounting evidence, folks, unless God touches and changes the heart, the mind will continue to see what it wants to see. And I hope that encourages you. Don't be mad at unbelievers. Don't get frustrated and say, are you an idiot or what? This is like airtight argument here. They're dead. Lights out. Stone cold heart. And, and here, let me help you. This is why I pray. I've pastors reach out to me and say, I hear you pray. I hear you really pray. Why? I want to say, why don't you? I, I, don't, I don't understand why you wouldn't. But see, when you really begin to understand, God has to work. Well, then I need to pray. Oh, God, break through in our counseling situations. Oh, God, save people as I preach. Oh, God, save my kids. Oh, God, save the people I'm talking to at the gym. Oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. When you realize the true condition of human beings, you would pray. It's got to be God. Now, I have to do what he's called me to do, but why go out there and do what he's called me to do and not pray? 
When the real engine that drives this thing and the thing that it all rides on is that God, you can stumble over your presentation, you can blow it, you can actually say sometimes, I don't know, but I'll be happy to try to find an answer and God can break through dramatically because it's not you. Oh, that'll make you feel better. It's not you, it's not me, it's God, but he does use us. But when you get a hold of this, you would pray, you would pray. Oh God, work, 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 work. As I preach work, oh God, as I go into the marketplace, as I get out there, as I try to be a witness, as I try to raise the flag, as I try to bring up Jesus, work, work, work. Soften hearts, take out hearts of stone, open blind eyes. When people are getting a benefit from a lie, they'll just turn a deaf ear and a blind eye to mounting evidence. Let me show you a second reason this message is so offensive. The message of Jesus, folks, threatens the existing power structures. Oh, listen to me. Nobody, nobody likes to lose power or position. And so they will push back against anything that threatens the status quo. Look at verse seven. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, by what power? Or by what name? In that day, to come in someone's name was a big deal. That means, who who gave you this authority? Who is the authority you have? Where is your authority for what you're doing? By what power? By what name have you done this? In, In the wording of the original Greek, it comes out even stronger because the way they arranged it, they emphasized the pronoun you. In other words, it can be translated like this. Who do you think you are who do you think you are you can't go around saying these things and promoting these things we are the existing powers that be and we'll decide what is said and not said and we will shut you down we will shut you up and we will shut you down number three the message of Jesus threatens the prevailing and personal foundations that most people are building their lives on you realize that People are building their lives on something and this message of Jesus threatens that. Because if people are actually listening to us, and trust me, sometimes they actually do. Every now and then someone is actually listening to what you're saying. And if they are, and you're saying it right from God's word, then they realize, oh my goodness. This message of Jesus is not just some kind of accessory for the edges of your life. This message rocks and reorients your entire world and changes the foundations of who you are, what you do, and why you do it. Woo, that's a a huge deal. This is not some intellectual philosophy to consider and say, sure, I'll believe that, check the box. They realize this is a message that talks about lordship, King Jesus, like it's just radical upside down. Oh, this changes who I am, what I do, why I do it. This affects the foundations of my life or the cornerstone I'm building everything on. See, look at verse 11. That's what Peter's doing right there. He's quoting from Psalm 118. And he says, this, this, Jesus This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. 
He says, you picked up this stone called Jesus to consider if it was worth keeping in your wall of truth. And you decided, no, useless, threw it out. In fact, you had him crucified like a common criminal, but God has made Jesus not just a brick in the wall of truth, but the very cornerstone of everything that matters most. That's why the book of Colossians talks about Jesus Christ, everything being hinged and holding together in Jesus. That's radically different than some little message that I'll say, sure, I'll believe that now. And nothing else changes in my life. No. That's why people feel so threatened by this message of Jesus because it goes after the foundation and the cornerstone they've been building their life on. Hey, Nobody wants you messing with the foundation of their life or the cornerstone. They'll say, feel free to make some suggestions about modifications and alterations up here that might actually enhance what I already want. I can name names. The reason they can pack out auditoriums and sell books by the millions and mine's only sold a few thousand, not complaining. but it's because it says what they already want to believe. I want to promote me. I want more of me in this life now. How can I use Jesus for that? Oh, they love that. Give me some alterations and modifications that just enhance what I already believe and want. But don't you dare go after the foundation or threaten the cornerstone that I'm building my life around or it will get ugly. Listen to me. Jesus will not be your little accessory dangling off the side of your life. He came because he is your biggest necessity. You can't live life effectively without Jesus Christ. You gotta have him. You have to be related to your creator God through Jesus Christ. This is your biggest necessity, not some little accessory dangling off the edge of your life. Because I hope you realize everybody is a builder and every builder has a cornerstone. And you may never have thought about it carefully or written it down, but if somebody tracked with you for 90 days watching, what makes you happy? When do you get mad? When do you feel threatened? What makes you anxious, fearful? Who do you exclude? Who do you connect with? Who do you bypass? How do you spend your money? How do you spend your time? Folks, they would see what you're building your life around and placing your hopes on. Everybody is a builder and every builder has a cornerstone. There's something or someone that you've made your ultimate value or cornerstone. And here's what happens. As soon as you do that, that then becomes the basis of your security and your identity as well as a filter for prioritizing and making decisions about what you think you should do next, what you think matters most, what you should hold on to, what you should toss out, what you should promote, what you should attack. It could be your education. It could be your own sense of personal morality. It could be family. It could be a political cause. It could be your career, your image, your achievements, your money, your friends, pleasure, I could go on. And please know, none of those things in and of themselves are sinful. 
but it was never meant ever that you should build your lives around any of it and make it the cornerstone on which everything else rests, ever. Because it's all finite and frail in a fallen, broken world and what that means. Some of you already know, but you just start over again trying to do the same thing. Thinking if I work harder, build smarter, maybe it'll work this time. That's what a lot of the best-selling books are about how to help you make it work this time. But it can crumble in a moment. In a moment. Because of this world, that's why you feel, listen to me, so anxious, so insecure, and so vulnerable to the ever-changing and hostile elements of our world. I've lived long enough now, folks. Life's hard. It's always been hard. But we actually live in a day. Some of you that are young really need to hear this. It is so much better today, my friends. People aren't dying left and right of sickness. We got the best health care. We've got more money today. People have cell phones. They've got stuff, stuff, stuff. You're in one of the best countries in the world to be living, regardless of how much money you make. And yet America has off the chart levels of people on anxiety meds. Now, if you're here on, on anxiety med, again, I'm not saying you're the biggest sinner and you need to repent right now. But I do want you to just to note what in the world is going on. My grandfather, they just like suck it up and go. Yeah, somebody died. Got to go to work. It's like just, and here's what I believe is going on. We've got record numbers of people building their lives. There used to be a little more God, Jesus, prayer. We got record numbers of people building their lives around everything in this world except Jesus. Guess what? You'll be anxious. I mean, when you hear this guy, when his, boyfriend, when his girlfriend breaks up with him, tries to kill himself. What? When mine would break up, I just got another one. Like, <laughs> all right, that didn't go well. But man, there's some other cashiers at this grocery store that I like. I'm moving on. And this is a big high school and there's a lot of options. Hello, my name's Brad. Right? It's like, I'm not, I'm not saying, and you could say, well, you didn't really care. But folks, it's just record numbers. I'm gonna kill myself. Folks, if you wanna kill yourself when your girlfriend breaks up, she was already way too important to you. If when you get lo- go from that job, it is fine that it hurts and it's disturbing, but if you wanna kill yourself, that job probably meant, it perhaps was the cornerstone. My whole world is my career and what I do. If and here, look, you can slow down aging, my friend. Go ahead and drink a lot of green things. But your skin is gonna loosen up. Just loosen up. You're gonna get some of this right here. I got it going on. You're gonna get some of that. And, and, and now I'm at that age now, I read articles. This is so encouraging. My body is actually trying to turn muscle into fat. Thank you very much. Did I give permission for that? No, but so I have to work twice as hard to stay toned. It's called aging. And if your image was what you lived for, it can be devastating. I could go on, whatever it might be, folks, the cornerstone. And see, the message of Jesus is so threatening, not just on an intellectual level, because the message of Jesus comes in and says, 
points to the cornerstone that so many people are building on and says, that is inadequate. It will not support you. It will fail you. Just give it enough time. Just give it enough time. Nobody wants to hear that because some of you have been working hard to build your life around that for years and you don't want to walk away from it. And even though you're anxious about it, it terrifies you the very thought of letting it go because this is all you know. The Bible has a word for this. When you build your world around even a good thing like family or children or friends or work, it's called idolatry. And idolatry and anxiety go hand in hand, my friends. You should be anxious. If your whole world is built around your career, if if your career is your cornerstone, you should be nervous because you realize someone else can come swooping in. And guess what? Another company can gobble up your company and they don't care that you were there. All of a sudden they just say, let them all go because we're bringing in some other people. That is a very fragile, threatening world. You've seen it happen over and over. Men and women who are at the top of their field, gone. Makes you anxious if you've built your whole world around career. Children, are children good? A good gift. That was weak. It's a good gift. Oh, but listen to me. If you make your children or family your cornerstone... All it takes is one delinquent child or prodigal child to break your heart, drag you through years of sleepless nights and embarrass you on public social media. Devastating. And we live in a culture where in the Christian camp as well as outside among lost people, I shudder how often I hear, oh, her kids were her world. Like that's a big compliment. Not good. Not good. Good, mama. Not good at all. Folks, my heart goes out for the group of kids today, and there's more of them who are being neglected and abused. Guess who else my heart goes out to? These kids who have parents who have made them their world. Guess what happens? A lot of pressure on you. You need to be and do all I thought you were gonna be and do because I'm living for that. That's my whole sense of worth and identity and reason to get up. Woo! It's not easy for the kids. And it can be a dad sometimes. Like I was just an okay running back. You need to be fabulous because I'm living my dream through you, son. Get out there. Hit harder. What's wrong with you? Right? We got dads and moms that are trying to live their dream and all their hopes and aspiration and sense of purpose and is riding on their kids. That's hard on the kids, folks. See, If you place the weight of your dreams and hopes and aspirations on anything in this world, it will fail you and you will end up crushing it because nothing was designed to bear the weight of all your hopes and dreams and aspiration and sense and longing for belonging except Jesus. 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 He's the only one that will not fail you. He's never failed anyone and he was only crushed once on the cross so that you would not have to be crushed in this life or the next. Go to Jesus. Build your life around Jesus. Thank God for children. Thank God for gifts and career. Thank God if you have good health. Thank God if your finances are good. But do not worship any of it or build your world around it or make it your cornerstone.
And people don't want to hear that. So it's not just offensive intellectually. It's offensive because it points out their cornerstone and says, inadequate. It's going to fail you. It's going to fail you. Let me give you one more reason this message is so threatening. The message of Jesus threatens this so-called balance, this so-called balance of religious pluralism. Look at verse 12, folks. I mean, look at verse 12, because verse 12, all right, for the golfers, verse 12 just tees up the exclusivity of Jesus and drives it into the pluralistic teeth of our culture. Bam! Look at verse 12. This is the kind of stuff they hate. This is the kind of stuff they say, I'm okay with Christianity except for this. If you stop talking this way, except for this, I just can't stand this. Nor is there salvation in any other. For there is, how many names? No other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus never said, Come unto me. I am one of many ways that you could be made right with God. I certainly don't want to seem exclusive or intolerant, but I'm here to offer a way. He didn't talk that way. He said, I am the way, the truth, the life. He said, I and the Father are one. He said, to see me and know me is to see and know the Father. Folks, I'm not making this up, so don't be foolish Sometimes people say he never claimed to be God. Then let me tell you something. You haven't read your Bible, all right? He claimed to be God. He made claims that no other religious leader ever made. He will not sit passively in a row with other religions and religious leaders as equal to them. He will not. He claimed to be God. So don't be, if this is you, Stop today. Don't be that person. You, you, it is fine for you to make a choice and say, I don't believe, I don't believe that. He claimed to be God, but I don't believe it. Okay. But don't say ridiculous things like this. I don't believe he was God. <gasps> but he's a good man, wonderful example, marvelous teacher. Folks, he claimed to be God. Either it's true and he's Lord. If it's not true, he's a liar and a lunatic. So you should not be following him or calling him good. That is not good. You just have two options. He's either Lord or he's a liar and a lunatic. He doesn't allow you to come over in this happy middle ground and reduce him, but keep him. Muhammad, Buddha, Confucius, so many others all founded some sort of religion, but they never claimed to be a savior. They all said, let me show you the way. Let me point the way. Let me show you the path by which you can work hard to achieve salvation. See, Buddhism, think about it. Buddhism tells us that our personal and global problems today are all rooted in caused by the innate desire that we have to promote ourselves, advance ourselves. And this is what leads to all the grasping and groping and conflict and self-centeredness. And guess what? Buddhism's right in assessing the problem. The Bible calls it sin. Then gives a horrible solution. So their solution, 
you must quench, kill all desire. Let me know how that goes, grasshopper. I don't know about you, but I've lived over five decades now and I can't kill it. It keeps showing up in some really ugly ways. Kill all desire. That's, the, that's why they would wear orange robes and live in a mountain. It's a little easier there than going to work. I was like, oh my goodness, it's hard to kill all desire. Guess what? You can't kill all desire. In fact, according to his holy book, the last words of Buddha to his disciples before he died were, quote, strive without ceasing. You can overcome the self-centeredness, which is the cause of our problems. Hinduism is basically the same deal, except it's more pessimistic because it's about you killing sin and self-centeredness and they've got karma, which basically means if you don't get it right in this life, you get to come back again as a cockroach and see if you can do better. It's just this endless cycle of trying to make progress in putting to death the ugliness that lives inside of each of us. How encouraging is that? I don't want to live over and over and over and over trying to make progress in this. Islam, at least with Islam, it's a religion that talks about mercy. The word merciful is at the head of all 114 chapters in the Quran. I don't know if you knew that. Problem? If you start to read the chapter, you find that Allah is only merciful to those who pray and give alms and obey everything in the Quran. That's who Allah is merciful to. So folks, no other religion says this is the name by which you must be saved. They all say this is the way by which you must strive to save yourself. So here's what I want you to realize. It's really not a choice between Jesus and all these other religions. It's a choice between you accepting Jesus as your savior or you trying to be your own savior. Those are really the only only two choices. I mean, I, I could just go on. The last time I sat next to a Mormon on a plane, I mean top Mormon, not normal Mormon, big time, special Mormon. And we went round and round and round. And she tried to convince me that they teach salvation by grace alone in Jesus Christ alone and blah, 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 blah. And I just always let them go, let them go. Because I've got a question that I always ask that every time exposes what they really, so when she took a breath, I said, okay, so if this plane goes down, we die. You stand before God and he says, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? She said, I mean, she snapped up. Oh, I would say because I have a recommend card. I was like, a recommend card? Where do I get that? Is that like Powerball? What? Do you scratch? No. And she, I said, what is that? She said, every year I meet with the bishop and he examines my life to see if I'm doing everything we're supposed to do. And if I'm doing it all well enough, I get a recommend card. I just let it hang there. And then I quietly, I said, you do realize that sounds a lot like works, not grace. At the end of the day, folks, every other religion and ism and cult and sect can be boiled down to let me show you how to try to save yourself. 
Christianity is the only religion who has a God who took on flesh and stepped into our world. That's why the words of Jesus are so radically different than the last words of Buddha who said, strive without ceasing. You can kill this self-centered. And oh, no, no. The words of Jesus were, it is, say it. Say it again. Oh, what good news. This is the only message and the only religion that talks that way because we're the only one who has a savior who did for us what we could never do for ourselves. Oh, praise Jesus. So why do we make it so much about Jesus? Because there's no hope without him and there's nothing like this. There's no comparison. But here's what I want you to realize. Because the message is so radically different, the response to it is also quite extreme. That's my second point. The response to Jesus has always been both unifying and polarizing. People who hate each other will come together and set aside some differences long enough to hate Jesus and the gospel. That's what you see going on in verses one to three, folks. You need to realize the Sadducees did not get along with the teachers of the law. That's another way of saying Pharisees. The Sadducees were religious liberals who said there's no resurrection, there's nothing supernatural. The Pharisees were fundamentalists, fighting fundies. And then when it says temple guard and blah, 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 rulers, that's the military leaders and politicians. We've got religious liberals, fundamentalists, military leaders, and politicians all coming together to hate this message. It's the same thing we see in our world. But oh my goodness, verse four begins with a glorious word. Oh my goodness, unbelievers also will be converted to embrace this message of Jesus. Look at it. However, however, See, we got Christians that want us to toy with the message. Oh, we got to tone down the message. We got to change it. We got to alter things. There's no way we'll continue to make advancements in our world with this kind of exclusion. Folks, don't change the message. This same message has always set people off and this same message has always set people free. It's the word of Jesus. Don't change the message. It says, however, just a few idiots who weren't thinking Believed. Is that what yours says? However, how many? Many believed the word they heard. It's happening all over our world today, folks. More Muslims are coming to Christ in Iraq and Afghanistan than in the last 10 centuries. Do you realize that? As they have ramped up hostility and beheaded women and children on the beaches, it has not helped them. It's caused untold numbers of Muslims to say, if that's my religion and that's Allah, I'm interested in Jesus. Folks, people are coming to faith in Christ all over the world and they always will because it is unstoppable. In China in the 50s when they kicked out all the missionaries, and it was illegal to be a Christian. Oh my goodness, what happened? Oh my goodness, the church in China grew to millions. So that when the door opened back up, we went in and found, my word, the church is huge because the persecution drove people to Jesus. You cannot stop God from building his church. 
we get to just get in on what God is doing, folks, and God is doing stuff today. However, 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 doesn't matter how hostile it gets. It doesn't how much, how, how, matter how much persecution we face. There will always be a glorious however, however, however. And praise God, it doesn't depend on us being smart enough or winsome enough. Faithful, prayerful. So let me close by pointing this out. The followers of Jesus have been consistently, point number three, courageous and relentless in the face of persecution for centuries now. And so I find myself saying, how can I have that same kind of courage like they did? Guess what? It's in the chapter. We don't have to wonder. We don't have to wonder how they did it. Here's the first thing they had. Look at it. You'll never be courageous for Jesus until you are intimate with Jesus. Folks, you got to spend time with him. It's not academic. Academic and higher education does not equal more courage. I've got a Bible college degree. I've got a three-year advanced graduate MDiv. That is not what makes me courageous, folks. I'm more informed. Spending time with Jesus personally is what helps me be courageous because he's real to me. For some of you, he's just not that real. Look at verse 13. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, untrained, they marveled. And then they realized that they had been with, say it, Jesus. Have you been with Jesus? You've been with the Discovery Channel. You've been with Netflix. You've been with your friends. You've been with Good Morning America and a cup of coffee, folks. You've got to spend time with Jesus personally. I do too. I don't, I don't say, oh, Wednesday and Thursdays when I do all my sermon research, that counts. So I'm, I'm in the word so much, I don't need a word of my own. Real stupid. I spend time in the morning with Jesus and God's word for me. And it changes how I perceive this world. It changes how I relate to people. It changes how I respond to trials and difficulties. I am changed by spending time with Jesus. You will not do well without it. What do you need to change to spend time with Jesus? I, I suspect nothing you would tell me is more important. Oh, well, you fill in the blank. What is it that's keeping you from having some time? And I don't mean hours. I mean like, goodness, start with 10 minutes. 10 minutes, 15 minutes. He's gotta be real to you. He is real to me. That is why I wanna talk about him to others. You will have more courage and love and compassion and everything you need for this world only by spending time with him. But I want you to see something secondly. You'll never be courageous for Jesus until you're reading and praying God's word back to him. I love what these believers did. They went back to the other believers and they prayed God's word back to him. You realize that's what they're doing in verses 24 to 29? They took Psalm 2, obviously they knew it. 
I'm wondering if even they had it memorized because they just began to pray it back to God. And they said, oh my goodness, God, you already predicted this would happen. That rulers and kings would rage against this message and they would try to resist you and your Christ. It's happening right now. What did it cause them to do? To have courage. They thought God is sovereign. They didn't say, oh God, give us new leaders. Give it in the next election. Give us more family friendly and religious friendly. Don't hear me saying it's wrong to pray some of that. They asked for one thing. Give us more courage. You are God. You're on your throne. Everything's happening just like you said. Just give us courage. They did not form a committee. They did not boycott. They did not pick it. And they did not whine. They did not say, we need this. We need this. We need This is a prayer that says, God, you are this. God, you are this. God, you are this. So in light of that, give us courage. Because you're our God and you're in control. Folks, prayer was meant to be a conversation. So I read my Bible first because I want God's word to shape and form what I pray. Don't just be talking to God. Some of you, you don't read your Bible, but you do pray. And what that means is sometimes your prayers are just really awkward and stupid. Sorry. You ever talk to somebody in a conversation and you can tell by what they're saying, they're not listening to anything you've said. Because if they were listening to anything you had said, it should alter what they say next. But it doesn't. That's what some of your prayers are like. You're telling God stuff and you're asking for stuff and it's evident you don't know who he is, what he's done, and what he's promised to do. When you're reading God's word, it changes significantly the content of your prayers and dramatically the tone. What's the tone? Praise and thanksgiving. You're just like, oh God, God, wow, you're this and you're this and you're this and you don't owe me anything. When you're reading God's word, your prayers are so much more filled with praise and thanksgiving. And then you do ask, but you ask with a different motive and tone. You're like, oh God, for your namesake, for your glory, for your namesake. My son Harrison got saved, hallelujah, this year. But I've been praying for years, God, you owe me nothing. You owe me nothing. You owe me nothing. But for your namesake, for your glory, I think he could glorify you more saved than lost. You don't owe it to me. You don't have to do it. But would you, for your glory and for your name, save him? It changes how you pray and why you pray and what. And then you're also willing to say, nevertheless, not my will, but yours done. If you have a different plan and purpose, I will trust you because you're good you're good. And I don't determine whether you're good by my circumstances and what I get. You just are good. So I will trust you and rest in you. What do you need to adjust to spend time with Jesus? How do you need to adjust your prayers and maybe say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna read my Bible and pray. Folks, not much courage, probably not much time with Jesus. Super anxious, perhaps still building your life on the, you know Christians can go on and still be guilty of idolatry and still try to build their life on the wrong cornerstone hoping Jesus will help them build there. He won't. Oh God, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for the truthfulness. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for your church. Thank you for what you're doing worldwide that we get to get in on. 
Use us for your glory and spread the name of Jesus so that men and women would be rescued and set free. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.